says. Uh, anyway, good morning, everyone. Uh, almost afternoon now. My name is Jason Doman. I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine Church. I get the privilege of spending every Wednesday night here with your students, so thank you for allowing me to be part of that. Uh, I do enjoy teaching on Sundays, though, because as I look out, I see a lot more hairlines like my own. Dad bods unite. Love it on Sunday. Uh, I am excited to be here this week as we get to continue on in the book of Mark. And so if you've been MIA for a little bit, we spent the first seven weeks of the new year digging into Mark chapter one. And then finally last week, we were able to move into chapter two. And last week we got to look at the first of four interactions that Jesus has, uh, more confrontations that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his time, the Pharisees. And in that first confrontation, the religious leaders, they failed to see who Jesus was. They, they recognized that only God can forgive sins, right? They, they, were, they were quick to, to notice that, but they failed to recognize that Jesus is God. And in today's interaction, we're going to see that they also didn't understand why he came. Now, one of our hopes with this series, the reason we've been going through it a little bit slower, a little bit more methodically, is in the hopes that you will get something new about Jesus, that, that something will, will strike you that has never struck you before, that you'll, you'll leave just feeling like you know Jesus better, like you're closer to him. And part of that is also hoping that you just get hungry for God's word. You want to spend more time in, in God's word. And so we want to make sure that you don't miss who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And, and we're going to do that by digging into his word. So let's start there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 if you want to open your Bible app or your Bible there. I'm just going to read uh, all the way through this passage first and then we'll, we'll break it down as we go through the sermon. So Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners... They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. All right, so there are two kinds of people in this world, and that's the title of the message today. And I know what you're thinking, okay, it's not people who put pineapple on pizza and people who don't. Okay? It's not Coke or Pepsi people, it's not Apple or Android people, okay, because we all know the obvious answer, Android is far superior than Apple. Okay? It's not, we're talking about good people versus bad people. Okay? The desirables and the undesirables, all right? Those are the two kinds of people, or at least that's what society tends to tell us. Right, society tends to put us in one of these two camps, and, and here's what, the, the goalposts like continually move, <laughs> So nobody really knows what is good or bad anymore with society, so there's really no hope as a Christian to live in a good life of what society would say. But we, we see it today. We, it's prevalent way back in Jesus' time. This is just the tendency for culture is to divide people into these two groups. 
And so we're going to see Jesus interact with those that society would call the bad people. And we'll see him interact with those that society would label the, the good guys. And I think that some of us might be a little surprised at the way Jesus interacts with, with both of these groups. So what makes someone a good person or a bad person? Like when you, when you say that someone's a good person, what specifically does that mean? Now, I grew up a, a Boy Scout, and I somehow managed to retain some of the information I, I learned in scouting. One of those things is the scout law. And the scout law is that a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Now, my scout troop and probably scout troops all over the world like to add and always hungry to the end of that because we were teenage boys and, and we were always hungry, right? But is that, is that what makes a good person? Is like just these characteristics that society would define as good? Is that what makes somebody a good person? Or what about a bad person? Do they have to be criminals? Do they have to be breaking the law? Does it, is it just their, their good deeds outweigh, or their bad deeds outweigh their, their good deeds? And that's what, what makes them a bad person? Like, what does it actually take? And I, I love it, it, like, it's funny how almost all of us would draw the line for being a bad person just below ourselves. <laughs> right? We're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm pretty good, but bad people, they're right here. Like, they're right below us. I have bad people. Or if you have somebody in your life who people would consider maybe a bad guy, but you love them, you say things like, yeah, but deep down he's really, really a good guy. And other people are like, yeah, how deep? Right? How, deep how deep you got to go to see the goodness in this guy? So if you're new to Christianity or if you haven't really spent a lot of time in your Bible, this might shock you, but there are no good people. There are no good people. There are only bad people. And you could argue that there are some people out there who, you know, who do more good things, who look better than, than some of us, but the reality is that God gets to define what is good. And compared to God's standard, all of us fall short. Okay, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Psalm 14 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. No, not one. And you guys, this is why so many people are scared to let God into their lives. This is why the gospel is so offensive to people. It's because you have to come to this point where you recognize that you are broken and you don't bring anything of value to the table. And that's scary. We're all just sinners. But that's why the good news is such good news. Like we didn't do anything to deserve God's grace. We didn't earn or we're not worthy of Jesus coming down and, and taking on flesh and going to the cross to pay the price for our sins. But he did it anyway. And he did it based on his love and his character, not based on anything that we did. And because of that, there, there, there really are two groups of people in this world, but it's not good people and bad people. It's people who are trusting in Jesus and people who aren't. It's people who have been forgiven of their sins and people who haven't. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're trusting in your own righteousness to get you through, I hope that today you'll, you'll pay attention to the way that Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus because you feel like 
He would never want to be in a relationship with someone like you because culture says you're a bad person. And I hope you'll pay attention to how Jesus interacts with the tax collector. I know many of us in here have, have already put our faith in Jesus, but, but if you've done that, don't, don't tune out. Okay, because I think there's, there's a lot going on in, in today's passage that can teach us about how Jesus calls us to engage with the world around us. So here's where we're going today. We're going to look at the tax collector, and then the Pharisees, and then the difference. All right, so we'll start with the tax collectors, because Jesus has different standards than religion. Okay, Jesus has way different standards than religion. We're going to see that what Jesus looked for when he was calling his followers is a lot different than what the Pharisees, what the religious leaders thought he should be looking for in his leaders. So let's, let's get into our passage today. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, every time I read these stories, like, my mind is, is blown. Because I, I just, I can't fathom what it felt like to be called face-to-face by Jesus. Like, can you imagine just sitting at your job, you're doing your thing, like, this is, this is what you've, you've gone to school for, all your training is in this, and this is all you, this is how you make a living for yourself and your family, this is how you support everything, and some random dude comes up and he's like, hey, follow me. You wouldn't be like, oh, okay. And these guys do, they're just like, all right, okay, let's go, Jesus. They lay down their nets, right? He gets up and he leaves his, his tax booth. Like, what must it have felt like? To be called by Jesus like that, it must have been amazing. And so Jesus, he's, he's still in Capernaum, okay, which is it's along the Sea of Galilee. He was in Capernaum last week when we looked at the four friends who, who dropped their, their paralytic friend down through the roof. And he's surrounded by crowds. Again, he's surrounded by crowds. Okay? Jesus is becoming very popular. And most of the people there were probably just there hoping to see something amazing. But Jesus knew what they actually needed. Jesus knew that they needed to hear about the kingdom of God, that they needed to hear the gospel, that they needed healing. So he's, he's walking along, and, and Jesus sees Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, Levi is also called Matthew, okay, so there's no confusion. Matthew and Levi are the, the same person, and, and, and Matthew is, uh, he's the author of the gospel of Matthew, which is the first of four gospels, okay, in the New Testament. Uh, he's also a tax collector for the Romans, which means he is considered a traitor by his fellow Jews. Okay, he would also be viewed as an extortionist. Okay, he would have been kicked out, he would have been excommunicated, no longer allowed in any of the synagogues. In the eyes of the Jewish community, it wouldn't have just been shame that he brought upon himself. The isolation and, and everything that he was dealing with would have also been applied to his family. So that would have caused problems in and of itself, just between him and his parents and, and any siblings that he might have had. And maybe you're sitting here wondering, like, what's, what's the big deal about being a tax collector? There's several reasons, okay? So first, as a tax collector, you are basically in a business partnership with the Roman Empire. Okay, you're working hand-in-hand hand with unclean Gentiles, okay, the, the bad people of the day. And the tax collectors, they, they, they were basically entrepreneurs, right? They're, ba they're, they're basically independent contractors that would bid for the right to collect the taxes in a certain area. And then what would happen is, is Rome would, would award the contract to the highest bidder, and so the tax collector would go out, and they had to, through taxes, had to 
bring enough in to pay whatever their bid was. And then on top of that, anything they made on top of that, they pocketed. So they're collecting taxes for the Roman Empire from their fellow Jews. And then they're pocketing the excess. So you could imagine just how, how, how dirty, how much they, they, there would have been this, this desire, this incentive to cheat and defraud their fellow Jews. Now, many scholars believe that Levi was probably from the tribe of Levi, okay, just based on his name. So there's some irony here because you have a, a Jew that's from the tribe of priests, right? The Levitical tribe were, were the priests. It was their responsibility to, be, to, to, to mediate between God and the Jewish people. They were the ones who were supposed to be teaching the Jewish people how to follow God, and instead, Levi has, has betrayed them, and he's working for their enemies. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Levi outside of the fact that he was a tax collector. We don't know if he was corrupt. You know, we don't know if he was one of the more honest ones just trying to, trying to make a living. We'd like to think probably that he was one of the, the, the good guys that makes it a little bit more comfortable for us, but that would just be speculation. What we know, what Scripture does say, is that Jesus approached him and said, follow me, and he did. And I have to wonder who, who was more shocked at this situation, if it was Levi or the disciples that he'd already called, right? Because for Levi, Jesus would have been the first Jewish person to, to not treat him with anger and contempt in, since the whole time he'd been a tax collector, Right? It, it, this would have been astonishing for him to somebody to approach him and actually engage with him in kindness. And for the disciples that, he'd, that Jesus had already called, they had to have been thinking, like, what is happening? Why would Jesus call this guy to follow him? And, of course, Levi, he's going to go on to become one of the core disciples of Jesus. He's eventually going to author the gospel that was most written directly towards the Jewish people. And what qualified Levi for this role? Nothing. Other than his willingness to follow Jesus completely. As soon as Jesus calls him, he gets up and he follows him. Now, in some ways, this is even a bigger sacrifice than it was for the fishermen who laid down their nets to follow Jesus. Right? Because there's, there's nothing in the Bible that would lead us to believe the, the fishermen were wealthy in any way. But a tax collector in the city of Capernaum, a massive city, like Levi would have been very wealthy. And on top of that, for, for Peter and James and, and John and Andrew, like if the whole Jesus thing didn't work out, they could just go back to fishing, which they did temporarily after Jesus died on the cross. But for Levi, he, this, like this is it. When he gave up that position, there would have been other tax collectors who immediately came in and put a bid to be the new tax collector for, for Capernaum. So Levi is literally leaving behind everything to follow Jesus. Now to this day, Jesus still calls people that you would least expect to help build his kingdom. I promise you, there are people who knew me 20, 25 years ago who would have a really, really hard time believing that God called me into ministry. And I mean, Pastor Eric? Man, that didn't land. You guys, you guys love Eric, I love it. I'm just kidding, like if you know Pastor Eric and his story, it's pretty incredible what God is doing through him. So I love that the Levi didn't, didn't allow his past to keep him from following Jesus. 
he, he simply just, he got up and he, and he followed him. So when Jesus calls you to follow him, your past didn't keep him from calling you. So don't let your past keep you from answering his call. And if you're someone who's already responded to Jesus' call to follow him, I want you to think about that person in your life who you've given up on. That person who you just think, you know what, they're never going to listen. They don't care about anything I have to say. They're, they're too far gone for God to use. Think about that person, and I, and I want to in, encourage you to hang in there, okay? Keep praying for that person. Keep engaging them. Keep asking God to soften their hearts. Now, that brings us to our second point in, in today's sermon. So we looked at the tax collectors. Now we're going to look at the Pharisees. So religion and religious people in general are pretty scornful of people who don't measure up, right? Like if you're a very religious person, you consider yourself a religious person, maybe a little bit high and mighty, a little bit holier than thou, you look at other people who, who don't live up to your standards with a little bit of scorn. And we talked last week about how Jesus was greater than religion, right? Like Jesus agrees with religion that, that people don't measure up. Jesus ag agrees with that. In fact, God's, God, God's word is clear on that. That all of us do fall short of God's standards, but Jesus is compassionate. He's not scornful. Jesus doesn't believe that anyone is too far gone to rescue. So let's pick up in verse 15. It says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? So Jesus starts out with this scandalous calling of a tax collector to come and be one of his disciples, and he's just getting started on doing things that the religious leaders are not going to like. And so sometime after Jesus calls Levi to be his disciple, Levi invites Jesus and, and the other disciples to his home as dinner guests. And it looks like it's going to be a party because he invited all the other tax collectors and, the, and some disreputable sinners. And you guys, in this culture, like eating dinner at someone's house, being invited into someone's home for dinner is, is a lot bigger deal than it is for us. And so Jesus, he's identifying himself as a friend of sinners by doing this, and the religious leaders, they, they can't handle it. They can't believe that that's what he's doing. Verse 16 says that the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, so not every Pharisee was a teacher of religious law. Okay, most of the, the Pharisees were just middle-aged businessmen. They were leaders in the synagogues. And, and the Pharisees, they accepted the, the written word. Like They accepted the, the written word as being inspired by God. So their written word at that time would just be our Old Testament now. But they also hold at the same value the traditions that have been passed down, the oral traditions that had been passed down. And so the, the Pharisees, like, they, they went through just extravagant measures to separate themselves from the unclean and the undesirables in their culture. They would do these ceremonial washings, right? They would go out in public and interact with people, and they would come home and do these ceremonial washings that were really just meant to show that they were, they were washing the world's filth off of them when they got home. In fact, the word Pharisee, it means separated one or purified one. 
they separated themselves from everything that they thought to be unholy, but they thought that everyone who didn't live the life of a Pharisee was separated from God. And so in their pride and and righteousness, they thought that they were worthy of God's love because of their obedience to his commandments and the traditions that had been handed down. They they, they thought that, that, that they were more worthy of what, of, of what God had to give because of their actions. And it's crazy because throughout his earthly ministry, we see, we see Jesus interacting with the very people that the Pharisees worked so hard to separate themselves from. All right, in Luke chapter 7, we see this interaction between Jesus and a, a woman who the Bible describes as a notorious sinner. Right, just, just pure evil. Most believe that she was a prostitute, okay? And, and so to make this situation even more awkward, this interaction takes place while Jesus is at the home of one of the Pharisees who had invited him over for dinner, right? And so he's, he's reclined at the table. In that, in that culture, you would, you would lay at the table. You'd usually lay to the left. You'd, be, you'd have a pillow, and your face would face the table, and your, the, your body would be angled away from the table, right? So he's, he's sitting there, reclined at the table with this Pharisee, and this woman comes in and begins to weep. So she washes his feet with her tears, and then she dries dries it with her hair. And then she starts to anoint Jesus with this really expensive oil. And the whole time the Pharisee is is sitting there thinking, like, if Jesus was, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is interacting with him right now. The Pharisee thought that Jesus should separate himself from that type of person. And we see this again in Luke 19 when Jesus eats with with Zacchaeus, right, who's another tax collector. And this time, Jesus doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him over for dinner. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner and to stay the night, right? And Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us that he was a man of short stature, right? We don't know exactly what or why, right? We just know that he was short. And so Zacchaeus had actually climbed up in a tree so that he could get a better look of Jesus as he passed by on the road. And Jesus approached him and he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree because we're going to go to your house. So he's going to go to his house and stay the night and eat dinner. And so you can imagine that the Pharisees, when they see this, they're in an uproar over that as well. If you haven't read the, the story of Zacchaeus, I encourage you, go to, go to Luke 19 this week. It's, it's a great story. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus' ministry is that he's a friend of sinners, but he never sinned. He's a friend of sinners, but he didn't condone their sin. Okay, so I want to make sure that you, you don't get the, the wrong idea here, okay? Jesus loved them in spite of their sin. Jesus loves you and me in spite of our sin. Jesus didn't pretend that what they were doing was okay. When he called Levi, he called him to leave his life as a tax collector. Right? They didn't have this celebration. They didn't throw this, this dinner and then he, he tells Levi, hey, just go back to living the way you were living. Go back to doing what you were doing. When this woman came in and washed his feet, he said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, hey, you know, thanks for washing my feet. Just, you know, go ahead. Keep doing what you're doing. Go on with life. No, like her sins, your sins, my sins, they are a huge deal. Jesus had to die for our sins. That's why she was weeping. She knew what a big deal her sins were. 
That's part of the reason why Levi had this, this going away party. He knew how important it was that Jesus was willing to accept him and forgive his sins. And now he's, he's moving forward into this new life following Jesus. So how do we apply this to our life? How would Jesus call us to engage with those that the world would put in the bad people, in the bad people category? Like, do you find yourself acting more like Jesus or maybe more like the Pharisees? Are you judgmental? Are you disgusted? Are you outraged with people that you don't agree with? Or are you compassionate and humble and grateful that Jesus still called you even when you were far from him? My prayer is that we would ask God to, to give us wisdom and, and courage on, on how to engage a broken world around us. I pray that, that, that Christ's interactions with people would be the, the example, would be the model for us to, to give Christ-like love, right? Which means that, that we condemn sin, but we offer compassion to the sinner. That brings us to our last point, the difference. See, Jesus came for people who know they are sinners, he came for people who know they are sinners. Verse 17 says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I think it's so interesting here that the religious leaders, they didn't address Jesus directly with their questions. Right? They, they went to his disciples and said, why, why, does, why does this guy hang out with such scum? And this is pretty on, or pretty early on in, in Jesus' ministry. And so even the disciples are still trying to figure this out. Right? They're like, ah, he speaks in riddles all the time. We're not sure what he's saying. And we don't know why he's called this, this Levi guy, this tax collector. Like, we don't, we don't know. Don't ask, don't ask us. But I love how Jesus addresses them directly, even though they didn't have the courage to address him. And he replies, healthy people don't need a doctor. And I just... I can, you can hear a little bit of, of the bite, like the sarcasm, right? It's like healthy people don't need a doctor, you morons. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He never says, like, everyone's okay. Every, everyone's, everyone's good, right? Like, just, just what's true for you is true for you. Go and live your life the way that you want to live. Just, just be yourself and, and follow your heart. Love is love, man. Like Jesus never says that garbage. Okay, that is of the world. What Jesus does is instead is he points out that we are sick. We are sick. We need a healer. We need spiritual healing. But Jesus didn't come to scorn the sick when he saw them. He loved them. Jesus didn't separate himself from the people who needed a doctor. He embraced them. He engaged with them. So even though religion and society would, would say there are good people and bad people, Jesus says there are people who think they are righteous and there are people who know they need a, they need a savior. Now there were a lot of Pharisees who, who thought they were righteous on their own. And unfortunately, there are still a lot of religious people who think they are righteous on their own. 
because of their religious activities, because they try to live these moral lives. And on the outside, maybe they look better than some of the people around them, right? But they think of themselves as worthy before God. They believe that they've done something to, to earn his favor and his blessing. Not, not even recognizing that this sickness, it's not about religion. This sickness doesn't just infect religious people. Right? Like there are so many secular, irreligious people who are broken and, and don't recognize it or won't admit it. So for the people who are in that group, if you are relying on your own righteousness to get you where you need to go, the next step is to become spiritually poor. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he, he opened, he started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how he started the Sermon on the Mount. So the first step to, to coming into God's kingdom is to recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt and you don't bring anything to the table to help out. So once we're in that group where we recognize that we're sinners, our next step is, is to turn to the great physician and to be healed. To turn to Jesus and let him work in our life. And when we do that, he makes us a brand new creation. Like, nobody goes to the doctor and then wants to come home the same way they went in. Right? Like, we, we go to the doctor to be helped. We, we want to be healed. We want to we feel better. And, and so it is when we come to Jesus. Our lives are changed. Our lives are changed. We are made a new creation. And so for those of us who have accepted Christ into our lives, I have to wonder, like, do we, do we recognize how needy we are? that we still need Jesus every single day of our lives? Or have we maybe become a little bit too confident in our own righteousness? Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that in these first two confrontations that Jesus had with the religious leaders, they failed to see who he was and why he came. And so I think it's only fitting that we, we close today with making sure that we answer those two questions as, as clearly as possible. So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came down from heaven and lived a perfect life, something that none of us could ever do. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried, like made a goal for yourself to maybe go a day without sinning. I tried to do this once. I thought, I can do that. I can go a whole day without sinning. I'll just, I'll just wake up and do nothing all day long except read my Bible. And my alarm went off and I got out of bed and I stepped on a Lego. <laughs> and it ended. <laughs> and Jesus went 33 years without stepping on a Lego. Like Jesus went 33 years living a perfect, sinless life. And yet he still went to the cross and died as a sinner for you and me. For our sins. He paid the price for our sins. He was the only good person according to God's standard to ever walk the earth. And so he was sacrificed for us and then three days later he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death so that those of us who were willing to admit that we were broken and put our trust in him for our salvation would receive forgiveness and we can spend eternity with our creator in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I'm so grateful for, for who you are. 
that you are a God who is worthy of our praise. God, I just, I, I want to lift up anyone in here who, who, who's struggling, God, who, who maybe their, their faith is wavering. Maybe they haven't, they haven't even recognized their faith yet, God. They don't realize who you are and, and what you've done. God, I pray that you would make yourselves known to them or that you would make yourself known to them. God, that you would work in their life and move in their life and God, that you would use the people around them. God, I just, I'm so amazed at how much you love us. I'm amazed that you would send your son to, to die for us even though we are sinners, God. I'm amazed at the love you have for us. So thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do for us. Thank you for meeting us where we're at. We're so blessed to have you as our Father. We love you, God. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' holy name. Amen.